I, I used to say this simple thing uh, a lot of times, that, that true religion, what separates true Christianity from every religion in the world, every religion, even stuff called Christian religion, is Christ in you. That separates it from every religion in the world. Most religions have God somewhere else. You know, uh, another place. And, it's, uh, and, it, and so often the Lord reminds me of Elijah the prophet. And when the prophets of Baal came to, or Elijah came to the prophets of Baal, Elijah began to ask them, where is your God? Has he gone to sleep? Is he on a journey? And they began to cut themselves. They began to do all kinds of things to try to get him to show up. But no God came. And then Elijah summoned the God of all creation and he appeared in fire. And he not only consumed the sacrifice, you know, they took the sacrifice and laid it down. And Elijah, I can't remember the whole story, but he told them to, to douse it with water. And they doused it with water. And so the God of fire appeared. And he burned up the sacrifice and he licked up the what he licked up the water. And he showed himself to be God. And see, that's the way our God is. He shows himself to be God. When people when people don't even believe in the encounter of God, he'll show himself to be God. He'll show up in the midst and he'll show you that he is God. I, I uh, remember a story. Uh, uh, Brother Redshaw is going to be here in a, a couple weeks and be with us in service. And I can remember a story. He was. He told me, and I probably butcher it, but uh, here goes. Some years ago, he went into a place. And I, I, I believe he was in a tent, but whether he's in a tent or in a building doesn't matter. And he began to preach, and I think it was another minister didn't necessarily believe what he was preaching. And Brother Register said it began like a hammer. That the Lord began to just work like a hammer into the heart. And He began to deal with that man to, to hammer his heart and take away the stone. And see, many times in our hearts we have a stone, a stony heart, and a heart of unbelief, a hard heart. And see, what is a what hardens your heart? Have you ever studied that out in the Scripture, what hardens your heart? Unbelief. A heart of unbelief will become hard when we, have, when we allow our heart to be filled with unbelief. What, what stopped, Brother, Brother Bob really said it, what stopped the children of Israel from just crossing over into Canaan? What held them out of the promises of God? What held them out was unbelief. They didn't enter into the goodness of land because they did not believe. And, and a lot of the goodness of, of Christ that's available to us today, what stops us from entering into that goodness of Christ into the land is not believing. Amen. Is, is, is maybe, maybe putting it off in a distant future. So I don't enter into what God has made real and made available to me. So I don't experience it. You know, you know, I, I've I've had that in my my ministry many many times when people tell me, "Well, brother Wayne, I don't believe it that way," and I and I and I guess I want to say, "Well, I can't help but to believe it this way because He's real to me." And when you come into a contact with a real God, with a living God, and He becomes real to you, it changes the way you believe. It just, it just does. It changes you inside out because of the encounter of Him. And, and the beauty of the Lord is that you can encounter the Lord. He's a God of encounters. Read your, read your Bible. 
the apostles encountered God. The prophets before them encountered God even before the Lord Jesus died. And you, and you go and you read the stories of Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Moses and, and what, what was unique with them is they were in a place of encounter. They didn't just speak out of, out of reading the Scripture. They may have read the Scripture. They may have, Jeremiah, of, of course, probably read what Moses said. But Jeremiah didn't speak to the children of Israel because he read what Moses said. He spoke to the children of Israel because he was in a divine encounter with the Lord. So his call into, uh, into being a prophet wasn't just knowing the Scripture. It wasn't that he could go back and he could, he could quote Genesis to, to whatever. He was speaking out of an encounter with God. And see, if we speak out of anything less than out of an encounter of the Lord, we're, we're, we're probably robbing God's people. I, I've, I've been amongst people in my life, and, and most of us have, that, that you know, they, they read the Scripture, and I'm all about reading the Scripture. I read the Scripture all the time. To be honest with you, I was talking with my cousin last night, and I told him, I said, really, you know, sometimes people talk about what's your hobbies. You know, you like to fish, you like to hunt, you like to do this. I like all those. I like to, like to watch football. I, I used to like to play football. But if I said I have a hobby today, if you really tied me down and you said, Brother Wayne, what's your hobby? It's the Scripture. It's to hear the voice of God and to get into the Scripture. In fact, I've told this story several times, and if you've heard it before, forgive me, but I'm just going to obey the Lord. A young man was sent to work with me. And uh, my company uh, that I was working for at the time, I was working for, for a different company than I am now, said, uh, I want you, my boss said, I want you to take him and train him. And my boss had a lot of respect for the way I did my job, and he wanted me to, to help this young man get started in, in a similar way. And so I, I sometimes I, I did it kicking and screaming, to be honest with you, Steve. I didn't necessarily want to put people in my car. I re- I'll tell you a story. One time he wanted me to interview a young lady, and I told him I didn't have time. So I show up uh, on the job a few weeks later, and, and he tells me the young lady is going to work with me, and I thought he'd hire her. But he hadn't. He, he, you know, I told him I didn't have time to do the interview, so he just stuck her in my car, and then at the end of the day he said something like, what do you think of her? So he got, he got the interview out of me without, uh, without me agreeing, you know, one way or the other. But anyway, this young man was stuck in my car. And so we're driving down the road. Very intelligent young man. I mean, he was, he was very intelligent in, from a natural sense. And he said to me uh, as we're on our way, he said, now what's your hobby? What do you like to do? And like I was saying earlier, I went through all the things in my mind. And, you, you know, we, we a lot of times we don't know what people are thinking in their mind. But I was thinking, what did I tell him? I used to love to fish, but I don't fish much anymore. I used to like to hunt, but I don't hunt much anymore. What did I tell him? And I, I said, well, I searched the Scripture. He looks over at me, and we're going down the road. He says, well, if God is uh, uh, such something, you know, I can't give you exact words, but something to this effect, if God is a God of love, why do he kill all those people? I said, well, Alex... Uh, I can't explain this right now because we're getting ready to go in here and make a sales call and it's more than a two-line conversation. When I come out of here, I'll tell you. Now, he wasn't ready for that. So when we got our sales call, Alex wasn't ready to uh, get an answer. He, he thought he was going to stump me and we were going to move on and, you know, he's going to say, well, see, I told you, you can't say anything. But that wasn't the case because the Lord had dealt with me with the cross. And I began to see that the whole Old Testament was a type and a shadow and a picture of Jesus Christ, that the whole book was. That from Genesis to Malachi, you, you had in it the Lord Jesus Christ. That He, it's even what He told the Pharisees, search the Scripture in them you, you think you have life. 
And why he said that to them is they would take the Scripture and they would say, See, Jesus, this is what the Scripture says. You shouldn't eat corn on the Sabbath day. See, look at the Scripture. That's what they were doing to him. They were taking the Scripture, but he says, You take the Scripture. In them you think you have life. But these testify of me. And you would not come to me that you might have life. So when I took, you know, when the Lord really began to speak that into my spirit, into my heart, into my mind, I began to see that what God was doing when He, you know, even the days of Noah, and He destroyed all flesh upon the land, and even, you know, you know, we quote this scripture as in the days of Noah, so are the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And a lot of people quote that scripture and they look at a future event. But what they miss is the cross. And, and, and I'll never forget this. Years ago, I was sitting at a, at a uh, desk, I believe. I was sitting in a, in a uh, room working at selling computer parts. And if you know me, I've been in sales pretty much my whole life. My wife has. She's told me before driving down, when I've been driving down the road, I'm not one of your customers. Quit trying to sell me. So she said that to me before because I've, I've been a salesman, and I can, you know, kind of maybe manipulate. I don't that's the wrong word, but I can, I can present things a certain way. But as in the days of Noah, so the days of coming son of man. Let's let's think of this. What happened in the days of Noah is all flesh came before the Lord, except for Noah, who found what Noah find grace. The key to that understanding there. So Noah found grace and he entered into the ark. He found salvation by entering into the ark. The ark was salvation. And the ark took him out of one world and brought him into another world. Alright. At the cross, all flesh was dealt with. Every part of the flesh that there's ever going to be in the earth was dealt with at the cross. If you don't believe me, believe Jesus. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw who? All men unto me. This he said, he didn't say go write a song, lift Jesus higher. He said, this he said, signifying the manner that he would die. So when he, was, when he was lifted up on the cross of Calvary, every man that had ever lived before, every man that was going to ever live in the future, was dealt with right there. Every man. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men, all mankind unto me. That's male, female, Greek, and Jew. He drew them all. And what he did to them is he crucified them. The Apostle Paul understood this and he wrote that when one died, all were made dead. How many's all? All. Didn't leave out anything. So, so as in the days of Noah, so are the days. So as it is in the days of coming to some man, going to deal with all flesh. Jesus did that at the cross, and that was the story I was going to tell you. I was sitting in my uh, uh, years ago as a young man then, and so, according to your age, some of you will say I'm a young man today. Some won't. Uh, some will think I'm old. It's all up to relative of how old you are, right? So, so that's how you picture other people. But I'm sitting there, and I guess I'm in my 20s at the time. And I'm reading in, in maybe this very thing. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but I'm reading Matthew 24. And immediately I see the cross. The cross, it's like it just appeared. I took my Bible. Somebody hand me a paper Bible. Under the pulpit. Got a great big one here. I can take a big one today. Look at that. 
I took it. I didn't turn to Matthew 24 in this now, but I took it and I went. And ran out. And I think I went in a stairwell. And I began to pray. What I began to pray was something to the fact, God, I don't know anybody who lives down. I was terrified. And the reason I was terrified is I was seeing something by the Spirit of the Lord. And when I saw something by the Spirit of the Lord, it it terrified me. Now, I don't think that was the first time I had seen something by the Spirit of the Lord, but God was getting my attention. And when God gets your attention, see, see it's kind of like uh, our brother uh, uh, Jacob when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night till the day broke, till the light broke upon him. See, Jacob was one in his way. And God was going to bring him another way. But Jacob was going to have it his way. And the reason he didn't see, see, he wasn't wrestling with the devil. And sometimes when you're wrestling around, you might think I'm wrestling with the devil when you're wrestling with the Lord because you want God to give it to you your way. And see, the one thing is you got to realize God ain't Burger King, so He ain't going to make it your way. And you've got to realize that, that He doesn't work your way. And Jesus never taught us to pray that, that, that Lord, when we come and we say, Our Father which art in heaven... Give us our way, did he? He taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, Thy, whose kingdom was to come? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. So God is always after His own way. He's always after His own things. And, and we have to be a people that are that open our heart and say, Lord, I will accept what you are. I'll accept what you say. I'll receive you. So, so now we're ready to go. And and, and Tig's maybe heard me once before. And Tig, I preach twice. I preach a message before I start preaching a message, and I tell people, well, you get a double portion when you come to hear me preach. So if you're gonna Give me an offering. Give me twice as much. And I'm being I'm being funny right now because I'm going to give you two messages whenever you come. So now we'll get into the book in Revelation chapter one. Revelation chapter one, and we can start in verse four. And I and I love this. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Where, are, where were they? He said they are in Asia. Grace, what did he say? Be unto them grace. So immediately he brings to the seven churches that are in Asia, just like we said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. John says, Grace be unto you from him which is. This this right here, if I could get anything to stick out in your Bible to you, this little piece right here, if I could do it, if I could make it stick out, I would. But I'm going to emphasize it, and hopefully it will, Sheila. Him which is. and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and and has made us to be kings and priests, or American Standard Version says a kingdom of priests, unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. 
and all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, notice this again, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And if you read the next few verses, and this morning I won't, because we're going to go into this bold, he come up with clouds, we'll probably do this one or two more times, and we're going to move on. But if you'll notice here this morning, John immediately sees him that is. What John sees, when you, when you go on down in verse Nine down through the rest of it, you know, it tells you he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and he heard behind him a trumpet and he turned to see the voice. And being turned, he saw seven golden candlesticks and in the midst he saw the Son of One like the Son of Man. Where did he see him at? In the candlesticks. What did Jesus just say above? He said... I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is. Notice that. And John sees him as the right now is God. In the candlesticks. And in the candlesticks, he sees him in a very particular way. He tells you how he sees him. He says... When he saw him, he was clothed with a garment down the foot and girded about the patch of the golden girdle. His head and his hair was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes as a flame of fire. If I see a man with eyes as a flame of fire, I'm probably going to get a little concerned. But John sees one with eyes of fire, and his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters, and he had in his right hand seven stars. And I kid around sometimes, and, and I'll say if he had seven stars in his right hand, he has a big hand. Stars, uh, I, think, I think people say stars are bigger than the earth. But he tells you what he's talking about on down in here, that he's really not talking about literal stars. And, his mouth, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And then you'd have to ask, is he a sword swallower? No, he's not. But out of his mouth come a two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shining up in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet. Remember what we started here today, that all died when he died. When John saw him, he fell at his feet as dead. So John saw in the seeing of Christ, he saw his own death. Because he fell at his feet. And at his feet were feet that burned as burnished brass in a fire. So there in the offering of the body of the Lord Jesus, John saw his own death. Amen. And he laid his right hand upon me. His power, the right hand deals with the power of God. You search this out in your Bible and you can see if I'm telling you the truth. He laid his power upon me. His right hand. His power saying, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Have the keys of hell and death. Write these things which thou hast seen and the things which are. Notice that what he says, the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are, what, what are they? They are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are, what does are mean? They're now. There were not seven church ages. They were seven churches that were then in Asia. They are, John wrote. 
And so, so John told you what they are. So he was dealing with him that was, him that is coming, and him that is. So the church, and I said this a couple times, the church has its mind wrapped up in him that is coming. And if they're not careful, they're going to miss him that is. Because John saw him in the seven golden candlesticks, and he told you the seven golden candlesticks are... They were present in John's day. They are the seven churches. So they saw him present. And a lot of God's people don't see Jesus present. A lot of God's people are seeing him and they're only looking at him as a future thing. And they don't see Him that is. Well, if you've been saved, if you've been born again, He immediately confronts you as now. Anybody ever been born again without Jesus coming into their heart? No. Because the whole act of the new birth is Him appearing in you. Now you don't see him as a six foot tall Jewish man. But you automatically say when he comes into your heart, Jesus, I've, I've talked to people that's gotten saved and they'll tell you by name, Jesus came into my heart. Now won't they, Bob? That'll be the very... Identity that they'll call him is Jesus. Jesus just came into my heart. Would you call that an appearing of the Lord? A coming of the Lord? Would you or not? I mean, you're going to have to answer some questions in your own heart and in your own mind. If Jesus got in your heart, did he come? I would believe He did. And I will believe if you'll study the book of Revelations real close, you'll see Him come many times in this book. That you won't just see Him come once in the book of Revelation, but you'll actually see Him talking about coming many times in the book if you study it. Now, that's the thing that I'll put on your shoulders. Study it. If you don't study it, I'll give you two choices, kind of like God did with Israel in Deuteronomy 28. He gave them two choices. I'm not God, but God gave them two choices, and I'll just use this. He said, if you keep my word, all these blessings are going to happen. Now, and I'm going to ask you all, when you read Deuteronomy 28, that's one chapter, it's a long one. Doesn't take you more than five minutes. But will you read it? Will you agree to read Deuteronomy 28? 28. Because he told them to write with if you keep my word, I'm going to bless you inside and out. And I'm going to bless everything you do. But he said, if you don't, keep my word. Whoa. Whoa and whoa. It's coming on. Now, when I read Deuteronomy 28, I have to sit down and say, who was he talking to? Was he talking to you in the new covenant? No. He was talking to the Israelites who were under the first covenant. Was he not? 
You believe the Israelites were under a different covenant than you are today. Do you or not? I used to, the Lord challenged me one time, I used to say, I preached the whole Bible, and, I, and when I would say that, I was saying, I, you know, I, I'm strict Pentecostal, was, was really what I was saying in my heart, or strict, whether well, I call it Pentecostal, I strict in my belief, and the Lord said, which covenant are you in? He said something like that to me. Because I'd say, I preached the whole book, and it just come right up at me, which covenant are you in? Because in this book, there's more than one covenant. And a lot of times what we preach is a mixture. We preach part of the law, and we preach part of grace. And we mix them. And that may be when Jesus talks about you're neither hot nor cold. He may be dealing with a mixture because God hates mixture. Have you ever read God hates mixture? So, so a double-minded man, what does he say? A double-minded man, who, who, can, who can tell me what he says about a double-minded man? He's unstable in how much of his ways? All. So if I go back to the law of Moses, and I come to the law of the Spirit of life, and I go back and forth and back and forth, what do I become? Unstable. So I've got to rightly divide the Word of God. And how I have to rightly divide the Word of God is the cross. That's the division that divides the Word of God is the cross. So when I look at the book of Revelation and I don't understand the cross, I probably ain't going to get very far. Because everything in your Bible has to do with Jesus Christ. Revelation has so much to do with Him, it's called the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So it's got, it evidently got a lot to do with Him. Right? So, so I, I get the book of Revelation, and I, and I read this, and, and, and I'm dealing with, with you know, I, I'm talking Deuteronomy, so you have, to, you have to back me up a little bit. And in Deuteronomy, he not only tells them he's going to bless their, their goings and comings, he tells them, if you disobey my law, I'm going to curse you. Go read what God says to them. And then read Matthew 24. And see if Deuteronomy, why don't we just look at it ourselves? Let's, let's flip over to Deuteronomy 28. I want to go other places, but I keep coming back there, so let's just... Do this. Deuteronomy 28. Let's start at verse 15. But it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be in the basket shalt thou be in the basket and in thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land the increase of thy kind and the, and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shall be, shall thou be when thou comest in. Cursed shall be thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that thou settest thine hand to do, until thou be what destroyed. Who's he talking to there? Israelite. And until thou perish quickly because of thy witness, wickedness of thy doings, whereby thou hast done what? Forsaken me. 
The Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto thee until he have consumed thee from off the land, whether thou goest to possess it. Now I want to stop for a minute. Has anyone read about the four horses in the book of Revelation? Is one of them pestilence? Does it sound similar to Deuteronomy 28? Really does, doesn't it? So he's going to curse them with pestilence. Verse 22, The Lord shall smite thee with consumption, with fever, with inflammation, and extreme burning, and with the sword, and with blasting, and with mildew, and they shall pursue thee until thou, what? Perish. And thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass, and the earth that is under, under thee shall be iron. Now does that mean it's literally going to be brass and iron? I don't think so. I don't think he's talking literal, but, but we'll leave it alone for now. The Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust. From heaven shall it come down upon thee until, again, here's the same thing again, until thou be destroyed. The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them and shalt be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. And thy carcass shall be meat unto the fowls of the air. What's Jesus talking about in Matthew 24? Where the eagles are, where the carcass is, there will the eagles or vultures be gathered together. Does it sound like Deuteronomy 28? The Lord will smite thee with the box of Egypt with Emirates, emirates, I believe that's hemorrhoids, and with the scab and with the itch, whereof thou canst be healed. And then verse 36, flip down to verse 36. The Lord shall bring thee and thy king which thou shalt set over thee unto a nation which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, and there shalt thou serve other gods, wood and stone. Now go down to verse 49. Flip down. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of old, nor show favor to the young. Who sees a nation of fierce countenance? Isn't it Daniel? I believe so. So all the way back in Deuteronomy 28, God is telling Israel, if you turn from me, you're going to be destroyed. Okay? And he goes on down here in verse 52, and he says, and he's talking about this, this uh, king of uh, great countenance, this nation of great countenance, and he shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy high and fence walls come down. To sound like something Jesus said, when thou see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, get out. Sounds like very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. If you read them together, and guess what? When Jesus is talking there in Luke 21, guess who he's talking to? Jews. Now, his words for all of us, so don't get me wrong. But he specifically says he came unto who? His own. And his own received him not. But as many as received him gave he the power to become the sons of God. So people come in and they read Matthew 24 without reading Deuteronomy 28. And what happens? Or read Daniel. What happens then is I take it and I haven't studied the whole Bible together and I come up with what I think it means. But when I study the Bible together, the Word of God interprets the Word of God. <coughs> Imagine that. 
I don't interpret it. The Word of God does. So the Word of God even tells us that in the book of Galatians it says he was born under the law. So if he was born under the law, guess what covenant was still in place when Jesus was on the scene? First covenant. Guess what's not in place today? The first covenant. Because he was ending that covenant. That covenant was over. And actually, what does it, and Sister Faye's going to know this, so I'm going to pick on her. Who became the curse for us, Faye? Did not Jesus become our curse? So all these curses you read of it here in Deuteronomy, had they believed on him, they would all been taken off of that nation. Every one of them. Everything God said, had they believed, would have been taken off of them and they would have moved right on over in the New Covenant. Because He took the curse for them. Cursed is the man that hangeth on the tree. So all the curses he took. But what did the Jews say? When Pilate come out and making you think, so we'd be here all day if I read all the scriptures, so you're going to have to think and study your Bible. Pilate come out and Pilate's wife had had a dream. Has anybody ever read that where his wife was troubled with a dream? And she was troubled because they were getting ready to kill a just man. And so Pilate comes and, and it was their custom to offer a man. Doesn't the Bible tell you that? So he has Jesus and Barabbas. And the people cry out, give us Barabbas. And then they say something else that if you read your Bible, and this is what you have to do is read your Bible and study it, they say, let his blood be upon us. When you go read your Bible about murder, In your old covenant, it says that land will be forsaken. That land will be cursed. They weren't taking his blood as a cleansing. That wasn't what they were saying. They weren't saying, let his blood be upon us as a cleansing. They were saying, let his death be upon us. And see, Jesus had told them, said, you are those that have killed the prophets. Who did he tell that to? He told it to the Jews, to the Pharisees. You have killed the prophets. And he actually gave them, and we read it last week, the parable in, in Matthew 21. He, sa- he spoke the parable of how God had planted a vineyard and, and set in it the wine press, and he sent to it prophets. And they stoned one and they beat another and they killed another. And then finally he sent to them his own son. And he said, surely they will reverence the son. But they took him and they killed him. And so Jesus asked them, said, what do you think will happen to those men? And I'm paraphrasing. They said, they're going to be up the creek. They're in trouble. They're going, to get, they're going to get what's coming to them. And they perceived it as he was speaking of them. And he said, God is going to take the kingdom from them and give it to a nation bearing the fruits thereof. Now, what in the world does this have to do with Baal he come up with clouds? We dealt with the cloud coming in the Old Testament as God filling the temple. Did God fill the temple in a cloud? Yes or no? Did He? 
He absolutely did, did he not? And we've dealt with that. If you'll go back and listen to some of the uh, teachings, we've dealt with it. What else was the cloud coming in the Old Testament? It was judgment. God came in clouds in judgment upon nations, upon people, upon situations. You know that. Flip over to Joel. You don't believe me. Flip over to the book of Joel. It's all right not to believe me. That's why we'll go to the Bible, right? Joel 2. Blow, Joel 2, verse 1. Blow you the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. That sound like something Jesus said, there shall be weeping and, and gnashing. Let all the land, the inhabitants of the land, now what land is he talking about? He's not talking about the whole global land here. He's talking about all the land of Jerusalem, all the land there. And he says, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness, a day and gloominess. A day of what? Clouds and a thick darkness. So, so here's a day of clouds. The day of the Lord's a day of clouds and a day of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountain, a great people and strong, there have not been ever the light, neither shall there be any more after, even to the years of many generations. So. So get this, real close. Let's stop. Won't you stop with me and listen? Joel calls this the day of the Lord, and calls it a day of clouds, a day of darkness, of gloominess, thick darkness. It's the day of the Lord, and he says down here, that there's never been a day like it. Neither will there be any more after it. Even to the years of what? Many generations. So according to Joel, there's going to be many generations after this day of darkness, this day of doom, this day of clouds. Most people preach, this is it. According to Joel, there's generations coming afterwards. I'm just showing you Scripture says that. So a day of darkness, a day of gloom, even unto many generations, a fire devoured before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Now, what did Jesus say to the Jews there in Matthew 23 and 24 when they showed him the building of the temple? They showed him all the buildings of the temple, and he, and he told the disciples there, he said, not to regard the building of the temple. He said, because there won't be one stone left upon another. What does Joel see here? Joel sees a fire devoured before them, and behind them a flame burneth, and the land is as a garden of Eden before them, and behind them it is a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses. What do you find in the book of Revelation? Do you not find horses in the book of Revelation? It's speaking of this same thing. It's not, it's not two different things. So, so what John is seeing, when, John's, when John begins his revelation of Jesus Christ, he sees him that is, and he sees what's ready to come upon apostate Israel. He's seeing the end of that system. 
He's seeing that it's getting ready to be taken off the earth. You know why it's getting ready to be taken off the earth? Because God said it was. Now, the power there is as many as received Him. The first Christians were Jews. So they all didn't get destroyed. Peter, Paul, Stephen, you go down the list, all those were Jews. And if you go read history, there's there's the history of the Jews. There's a book actually written by Josephus who lived during that day, this day that this happened. He actually lived there and he wrote, chronicled the history of the Jews. So you can go read about it. And what's interesting, if you read about it, Josephus says it happened. It's history. It really, literally happened that God removed the old temple. And what we have Christians do today, Christians, they want to bring it back. They want to go back into Jerusalem, the literal, natural Jerusalem, They want to put another temple over there. They want to start the sacrifice back. Christians do. I've heard them. It's been a while since I've listened to it, but I've heard them where they talked about, you know, rebuilding the temple. God's going to come rebuild that temple. And I wonder why. Jesus said not one stone is going to be left upon another. And He told the woman at the well that neither shall you worship in Samaria nor in Jerusalem, for God is a spirit, and they that worship Him shall worship Him in spirit and in truth. So why would God go back to that mountain to worship, or that old mountain to worship, for worship again? It was it was the removal, a day of clouds, a day of gloom, a you know, behold he cometh with clouds. He was coming in judgment upon the nation of Israel, and he was removing them off the face of the earth. And one in the American Standard Version actually interprets the word word kindreds of the earth as tribes of the earth. And where do you find tribes of the earth? Israel. All the tribes of the earth shall mourn. And Jesus told them there shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus told them in Matthew 24, said, This generation shall not pass till all these things are fulfilled. Now, how long in your Bible was a generation? We we should know here. We've talked about this a lot. Brother Calvin knows 40 years. You can go search it out in your Bible. It's 40 years. From the time Jesus preached until the time Jerusalem was destroyed, according to history, guess how long that was? 40 years. But yet, even though there's evidence of that, people don't believe it. And they say he's talking about something else. But actually, you can go search it out. You can go look it up. You can ask the Lord. And the best person to ask about it is the Lord Himself. Just sit down in prayer. And don't give up to get an answer from God because He'll teach you all things, yea, even the deep things of the Lord. You, you realize the Bible says that the Spirit will teach you how much all things take, even the deep things of the Lord. So where I ask you to go, I ask you to search history. I ask you to search your Bible. And I, you know, I ask you to search the Bible way more than I do search history. But go look. But more than all of that, go get on your knees and turn to Him and ask Him, Are you talking about the ending of the Old Covenant? Are you talking about something else? 
Apostle, how many believe Peter was an apostle? I do. When Acts 2, we read part of Joel. In Acts 2, when the Holy Ghost was poured out upon Jerusalem, and that's, and that's fulfilled what Zechariah says. It's amazing how that, that the Bible actually said that was going to happen, that God in the latter day was going to pour out the Spirit of grace, and by the Spirit of grace they were going to look upon Him that they have pierced. He said, They shall look upon me whom they have pierced after He had poured out the Spirit of grace. That's in Zechariah 12. Well, in Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter makes a, a pretty profound statement. He said, This is that spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last days, saith God, I will pour forth my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see vision, and your old men shall dream dreams. Yea, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, in those days will I pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the day of the Lord come, that great and notable day. And it shall be that whosoever call, shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that in force today? Is it enforced today that if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved? Is it or not? Yeah. So why then has verse 20 not been done too? Because he's talking about the same day, the same time. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the day of the Lord come, that great notable day, and it shall come, it shall be that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord, shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. See, when Jesus died at the cross, what happened? Did the sun become dark? Did the moon not give her light? Did darkness, the Bible tell you, when Jesus died at the cross, that darkness covered the earth? What happened? Brother said, what, what happened? There was an earthquake. Jesus said there was going to be earthquakes in diverse places. Right? What happened when he died at the cross? The earthquake. What happened when he raised from the dead? The earthquake. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture. See the earthquake. It was signifying the removing of those things. The sun was darkened. The moon was turned into blood before the day of the Lord came. What does that all mean? Does that mean the moon will physically become blood? Well, Jesus, when it said He had seven stars in His hand, did He physically have seven stars in His hand? No, He was speaking in symbolic language. Your whole Old Testament's filled with symbolic language. The whole Old Testament Bible is. This is, this is a directly out of the Old Testament. So symbolic language is all, all the way through that. So, so explain this to me, Brother Wayne. The sun's darkened. Well, 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 Brother Joseph has a dream. Anybody read Joseph's dream? And he called his dad to what? The sun. And he called his mother the moon. And he called his brothers the stars. Who was his dad? Anybody know who Joseph's dad was? Jacob. Who was Jacob? What was his name changed to? Israel. The sun became dark. Israel was no longer the light in the world right then. When Jesus died at the cross, their light went out. The moon became blood. Why? Because the fierceness of the wrath of the Lord come upon that land. There was no more light coming out of that system. It was over. And the stars of heaven fell. It was done. That's what he's talking about. It was done. It was complete. It was finished. That whosoever calls on the name... You'll never go to a high priest again. 
You'll never walk into a, a tabernacle or a temple and a sacrifice for the cleansing of sins. You'll come by calling upon the name of Jesus. That system had ran its course. And it was absolutely finished. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out, what did they do? Look at this real close. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, and I've been an hour, so I'll only be ten minutes more. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, man approved of God unto you by mighty works and wondrous signs, which God did by him in the midst of you. Even as you yourselves know, him being delivered up by the determinate counsel for knowledge of God, yea, by the hand of the lawless man did crucify and slay, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible to that he should be holding of it, so, so death couldn't hold him. It was impossible. And then it comes on down here. It says he's, he's by the right hand of the Father all and I wanted to get into that, so I don't have time. So I'll just leave it alone. But verse 36, Let all the house, house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made him Lord in Christ. There's no more kings of the Jews coming. There's no more high priests coming. He is made Lord and Christ. <laughs> now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Would you call this a great mourning in the land? Their hearts mourn. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, they didn't just say it to Peter, they said it to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Why did they say this? Because they were convicted at the heart. They were convicted for sin because they were beholding him that had been pierced. And said, What shall we do? And Peter said, Repent ye and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and to the remission of your sin. No other name given. This is it. This is it. He's setting down the gospel here. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and you shall, not you might. This isn't a maybe, maybe if you feel like it. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for to you is the promise, and to your children, and to all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call unto Him. So now the gospel began to be proclaimed for Jerusalem. Now you know they didn't run right out to the Gentiles then. You know if you read from Acts 2, I think until about Acts 9 or 10, that's, that's when the first encounters with the Gentiles start. That the gospel come to Jerusalem first. What what did he say? That, 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 that it was come to the Jews first. You ever read this in the Bible? It did. It was, it was only in Jerusalem, in Judea, in the land of the Jews. You know, even, even Jesus going to the woman of Samaria, you know most likely what she was? Well, I won't say most likely. You know she was, a, she was an Israelite? You know what she told Jesus, her, her father, who she told Jesus her father was? In John chapter 4, she said Jacob is her father. Who was Jacob? Is so if Jacob was her father, she was an Israelite. Why was that so? Because Israel and, and, and Judah had been divided. And I've taught on that. They were a divided kingdom. And Israel's uh, capital became Samaria. And the capital of Judah was what? Jerusalem. And Israel had already been carried away. And Jerusalem was still standing when Jesus had come. And if you go back and read the prophets... You know, God spoke of the two of the two nations, and He called them two uh, harlots. He called them two two uh, women of sin. And and you think it's a mystery that the woman that came to the well of Je with Jesus, she was what? She was a harlot. Well, in Ezekiel, God called Samaria a harlot, and then I believe He says Jerusalem's a bigger harlot than you. And they have two names. I can't remember them, Brother Steve, but you can look it up and see if I'm telling you the truth or if I'm making it up. You go to Scripture and look. And the thing of it is, it's in the Scripture. 
And so these two, so, so God had, had promised what He was going to do to them and He had already dealt with the nation of Israel. And now He was coming to deal with Jerusalem and, and Jerusalem was under captivity of a king with a great countenance, a fierce countenance when Jesus comes. you know that? They were under Roman captivity. They'd come through Babylonian and then the Medes and the Persians, then the Greeks, and then they were sitting there in Roman captivity when Jesus comes on the scene. So they were under a king of fierce countenance, and the fierce countenance that was going to turn against them was the, was the Romans. And the Romans actually turned against them and wiped out that city and that temple. And the reason they wiped out that city and that temple was because God was building a temple not made with hands. Christ as a son over his own house, whose house you are. So now the house of God is not a building in the Middle East, but it's a people in whom God dwells in. Ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, I will walk in them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I could go on another hour, but I won't. And I know this is different than a lot of people teach this book. And I and I sometimes I say say this wrong, I'll say I don't care. I do care about the people. What I don't care and I and I do care if, if they believe it, but I but I don't care if they necessarily believe what I'm saying. What I want them to, to believe is what the Lord says. What I really want people to do is search the Bible, sit down before the Lord, and see what the Lord says. That's, that's it. And if He tells you that what I'm saying is, is false or rubbish or whatever, then you can pray for me, you can come to me, you can sit down with me, I'll give you my phone number, you can call me in the middle of the night, I don't care. And I'll pray with you. My heart is not to deceive you. 